So great to see everyone here, everyone's faces. Uh, if we would turn to John chapter 20, and we'll start at verse 19. Thank you, um, Chad, for that introduction. And the kids are free to go to Sunday school. Friday night we were in here together watching a an ad- adaptation of the um, life of Christ and no matter who tells the story or how it's told, it's just so powerful. It's just you always walk away from that in such in a state of amazement of what Jesus Christ had gone through for us. And I was watching this as we were watching this all together, and I was thinking how you can't make a story this powerful. You can't make that up. The story of the life of Christ is so much more powerful than the story of Romeo and Juliet or Macbeth or any other kind of great literature, uh, literal masterpiece. It is the most amazing story. It's an amazing story of just love and um, miracles and betrayal and how love overcame the uh, overcame the sins of the world that were put on him uh, by association and you could see the uh, you could see as the story went on the uh, the great love that Jesus had for people and how today if this was to happen today the same thing would happen again and I want to just turn us to have us turn to John chapter 20 and I just want to talk a little bit about one aspect of the resurrection and you know that there's more evidence of the resurrection happening than that than that Shakespeare was the author of Romeo and Juliet did you know that that there is more uh, tangible evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than there was that that uh, that there was um, of many, many historical events. And we want to just get into that in a minute, but if we look here in verse 19, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, let's just stop there for a second, that so many people, very often, you may hear them um, uh, debate, well, Easter wasn't on Sunday, it was on Saturday. And, you know, we could get into that argument but we won't, because for, for us, Resurrection Day is something that we celebrate every day, isn't it? Amen. Amen. Right. It's something that we celebrate every morning, that Jesus rose from the dead. Amen. He's alive, and I'm, therefore I'm alive, even before I have my first cup of coffee. I'm alive, you know. And that same day in the evening being the first day of the week, and I wish I had time just to teach on this, but as Jesus was being crucified and his blood was being shed, do you know what was happening in Jerusalem? Because he was crucified outside of the city. Uh, In the middle of the city, uh, hundreds and hundreds of little lambs were being slain. And blood was coming out of them. And it was so much blood that the brook Kidron was red with blood. And at that moment, the Lamb of God, as he was being slain on a cross, the Jews did not even realize that this is the fulfillment of every prophecy in the Old Testament. This truly was an amazing day. And that same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, when the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. I'll stop there for a second. 
Do you know that fear, all the disciples were in, in fear. And as Don was singing and as Chad was sharing, we see that all the disciples were in st- such a state of fear and guilt and shame. Why? Well, Pastor Ron said it a few weeks ago, that when we live in shame, when we live in guilt, that produces fear. And when we live in fear, we're trying to con- control our environment. We're trying to control things. And we see that happen in the Garden of Eden. Remember that when Adam and Eve failed? They tried to control their little environment because we become fearful. We become afraid that we're going to lose something. And so they were, all the doors were shut and locked. And there, here's a group of men, 12 men sitting in a room. And they're just waiting. And they don't know what they're waiting for. And then what happens? Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be unto you. Why did Jesus have to say, Peace be with you? Why? He says it actually twice. He, he, he says this twice to him, to them. Because everyone, not just Peter, but every disciple denied Christ and fled. Every one of them. They all left. Imagine the scene. I was watching this film Friday night and watching all the people following Jesus through the town and through the villages and into Jerusalem. And I was thinking, these people had an expectation and maybe didn't even understand what was going to happen with Jesus Christ. Jesus is entering into Jerusalem and he's heading towards imminent death and betrayal and suffering. A lot of people were following Jesus because they thought, okay, he's going to be the next king. He's going to be the great, he's going to be the great king of Israel that's going to set us free from all of the trouble and all the political problems that we have with Rome. You know, remember at the time that Israel was under the power and the oppression of Roman Empire. This was very heavy for them. They were, I don't know if you've ever lived in a country that was oppressed by a government, but Israel was under the oppression of the Roman government. And so as Jesus is walking through the wilderness, walking through the desert, and making his way towards Jerusalem, more and more people are following and gathering, and they're following, and they're actually coming towards Jesus Christ, towards Jerusalem. And what happens? They have in their mind, he's going to set us free. He's going to be our great king. And that's what Palm Sunday was all about last Sunday, was the expectation that all the children of Israel had that their Messiah was coming and that they were going to set them free. But that announcement at the Last Supper, I will be betrayed, and follow me here, I will be betrayed, and I'll be delivered over to death. <laughs> but I'll rise on the third day. Wow, what a, what a heartbreaker. What an expectation breaker. What a, what a way to throw, like, what a, what a way to ruin the party. What? What, what are you saying? You're going to die? No, that's absolutely unacceptable. Are you insane? You're supposed to be the king. You're supposed to set us free from the Roman tyranny. We're supposed to be a great nation like David the king did. And he, David conquered all of his enemies. And that national patriotic pride that we have as Americans was also in the Jewish nation, but it was squelched under the power and under the dominion of Rome. Jesus said, no, I'm going to be slain for the sins of the world. And all the disciples, they're just so disappointed. And sometimes in the plan of God, we are just totally disappointed, aren't we? We're just like, what? I can't believe, I trusted you, God, and just the opposite happened. But you know something? We only see to Friday... God's looking at Sunday. Amen. We only see it to the cross, because the flesh can only see to the, to the cross. 
It can't see Sunday. How many times did Jesus say, I'm going to rise on the third day? I don't know, but all the disciples forgot. Isn't that interesting? Anyway, this is not the message, but isn't that true? You and I can only see till Friday where the crucifixion happens and death and all the bloody gore of our trauma and situations. But God's looking at Sunday when he rises from the dead. Amen? Amen. When he has victory over our sin and over all of our failures. Maybe some of us are here today and we're like, you know what? It's Easter Sunday. I haven't had really a good year. I've kind of failed God. You know, I've failed God. And that's what the situation with the disciples were in. They had all failed Jesus Christ. They followed him, and they hit a brick. They hit the New Jersey Turnpike barriers. You ever hit one of those? You're not going anywhere if you hit one of those things. You're dead in your tracks. And 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 that's what they hit. They hit like a barrier, and then they weren't going anywhere. Jesus is dead. Here we all, you know, we've all left our careers. We've left our families. Left everything. Left lost our reputations, lost all of our money, lost our businesses. Here we are sitting in this room, and, we're, and they're just trying to wrap their minds around what, what, what just happened. And then we all denied him. And there was such confusion and such fear. Jesus comes in, and what does he say to them? Peace be unto you. This is not just emotional peace. Oh, just, hey, guys, please feel good. Jesus wasn't projecting at them emotions he was saying, peace be unto you, because that's a fact. Because all of your sins have been washed away. All of your sins have been paid for. I just paid for the sins of the whole world on my body. Amen. Peace be unto you. This is a fact. And the conscience can say, okay, now I can accept that legal transaction. Because our conscience, we can say to our conscience, hey, don't feel bad, it's all good. Our conscience is going to still plague us. Why? Because our, our conscience is like a judge. If you ever dealt with a judge before, they're not, they, they, they go by the law, don't they? They're not going to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to forgive you because you're a nice guy. you got good intentions. No, that's not going to work. Have you ever been at, a, at, a, at court to pay for a ticket or to plead the mercy of the judge and you get a bigger fine? The judge is not going to award you based on your goodness and like, Oh, you're such a nice guy. I like your tie today. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a break, and actually I'm going to find the policeman for giving you a ticket. No, the conscience is like a judge, and that judge can't be satisfied unless there's payment and penalty fulfilled. And that happened with Jesus Christ, didn't Jesus came and said, Peace be unto you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Why did he have to do that? Because there had to be a evidence of the payment of sin and the shedding of blood. Without that, the consciences of the disciples and the consciences of you and I would not be satisfied. Do you understand that? That's the way we're made. That's the way we're made. And when he had said, and then what does it say? The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I think the word glad, there's a little underestimating. They were glad. Okay, hey, that's cool, Jesus. You know, that wasn't the situation. They were rejoicing. They were jumping around. We saw the film there and we were thinking, I was just thinking, when uh, it was either John or Peter, I don't know, because there's a lot of ho- Hollywood adaptation to that. But they're looking in the tomb, and he's gone, and they're kind of scratching their heads. And I think it was John that turned to Peter and said, he's back. He's back. Isn't that great? I love that statement. He's back. And that, that was what they were rejoicing about, that Jesus was back. Can you imagine that? Jesus was back. And when the disciples saw, they were glad. In verse 21, and Jesus said to them again, peace be to you. He had to say it a second time. 
had to say it a second time. You know, we have to hear this peace be to you every day. We have to hear the Holy Spirit and the word of, God, and the word of grace in Acts 20, verse 32. Say this to us every day. Peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, I send you. And what does he do in verse 22? He sends him on a mission. Wow, Jesus, I don't know. Would you? And this Chad was saying this. I don't know, Jesus, if you want to send these guys on a mission right now, because just a couple days ago, didn't they just all deny you? That doesn't sound like your organization is based on really some solid, consistent, <laughs> faithful people. But Jesus said, I'm sending you. And he says this, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? I just want to briefly explain what that means. Some, some Christian organizations or Christian religions believe that there are certain individuals in their, in their church that has the power to actually forgive people's sins and not to forgive other people's sins. That's not biblical because we have one mediator between God and man. What does this verse mean? It's actually very psychological. When you say to someone, I forgive you, what does it do? It does two things. Number one, they are set free from the judgment that they felt that they were coming from you, that they felt was coming from you. They, felt they are set free. They're like, you know what? Hey, it's all good. I forgive you. I forgive you. And their minds are set free. Oh, you know what? Our relation's back. Okay, we're good. We're all... We're on the same page again. We're, we love each other. And, you know, and the second thing that that means is when it says that you forgive the sins of any, you no longer are under the effect of what they did to you. Do you know what I'm saying? We need to forgive people for two reasons, for their sake and for our sake. Okay? Let's remember that. Forgiveness is something that happens when Jesus dies on the cross and we say to them, we say to people, I forgive you because I myself have been forgiven by God. And let's move on here. Now Thomas being called the twin. I was reading that this morning, the twin. You ever read that, Thomas the twin? Who, what does that mean, Thomas the twin? Who was he a twin brother of? You ever read something in the scripture and wonder like, what does that mean? So I did some digging early this morning and found something really cool. And this is a little tidbit of information. You can impress your friends by this. <laughs> Why is he called a twin? Who is he? Was he the twin brother of somebody of the disciples? No, he wasn't. Scholars cannot find who he was the twin of. But if you start digging a little bit in the Aramaic language and the Hebrew language, Thomas or Tauma in the Hebrew and in the Aramaic is the same sounding word as the word twin. Tauma. It's interesting, isn't it? Now you learned an Aramaic and a Hebrew word. So Thomas, who was called Tauma in the original, was sounded very much like Tama, like twin. So they say that Thomas had a nickname, the twin. It's like the Italian culture where they, you know, uh, some of these nicknames that they give these Italian mob bosses, you know, Ma Mario the baby or something like that, you know, these <laughs> Guido the... Charlie Tutai. Yeah, there we go. Only two times. Just like that. So Thomas the twin, one of the twelve. This is and another I think here's another reason why he was called twin. This is not original with me. Another preacher said this. It could be that he's a twin. Thomas is a twin of all of us. That he's a twin of all of us. 
When we look at Thomas, we're looking at a twin. We're like, you know, that's me right there. When I look at Thomas, I'm looking, I'm looking at a guy that's just like me. Thomas, who was one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. Interesting, isn't it? He wasn't there. He wasn't there. He was missing in action. And I think that that can happen to us. Sometimes that can happen to us, and very often it could happen to us. God is moving, and God is doing something amazing, but we're MIA. We're missing in action. And what is that? Why is that so painful? Because here is Jesus appearing to the 11, to the 12, but Thomas is not there. And he's missing in action. And when he comes, when he comes, in verse 25, the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. And you can imagine the pressure that he begins to feel. You ever miss church or miss an event? And everybody's like saying, that was so amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that was the best message ever. Yeah. And you're like, oh my gosh, you know, like, what did I miss? Hey, there's no condemnation. There's no judging. There's no like, we're not, you know, we're not pounding on people here. But Thomas, is, we've all done it. We've all been there. We've all missed out. And here it is. Thomas is saying, hearing them say, we have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see the, his, his hands and the print of the nails, and not only that, but put my fingers in his wounds. Ouch. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. This guy was really a literalist, wasn't he? And put my hand into his side. I will not believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you may say, well, so-and-so is a skeptic. I'm not. No, we are all skeptics. Mm-hmm. They're inside of us. They're, there's the twin Thomas inside of us. And after eight days in verse 26, imagine that attitude, another eight days. Imagine that. Here's Thomas. Nope. I mean, how many times has this conversation happened? Yeah, right. Thomas, like, look, we really saw him. Nope. I, I got to put my hands right in his side. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them this time. Good Thomas. Rebounded. See? You rebounded back. You're back in the pack. Thomas with them. Jesus came. The doors being shut again, and he stood in the midst, just like last time. He stood in their midst, stood in their midst. I love that because when we are sitting guilty, when we're sitting, I don't, I mean, I'm talking to every, all of us here today. When we're sitting in our room and we just feel terrible, and we're like, you know what? I should know better. I've been a Christian for 700 years. I should know better than this. And I'm sitting there, you know, like, and you know what happens? Jesus comes in and stands in our midst. Why? Do you think that your sin scares Jesus away? No. Do you think that your, your failures scare God away? Like, oh, I can't talk to so-and-so anymore because they had a bad thought. Yes, it grieves the Holy Spirit. It does. And when we come to him in the grace of God, he washes us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness in 1 John 1, 9. But Jesus comes in their midst and he says, what does he say? Peace to you. Peace to you. He's like, he said, guys... You, did, you haven't gotten it yet. I've got to say it a third time. Peace be to you. Then what does he He turns to Thomas and he says, reach your finger here, look at my hand, and reach your hand here and put it in my side. He said, go ahead, just put it right in there. He said, do not be unbelieving, but believing. And so Jesus confronts Thomas's unbelief with a physical presence. You know that... The resurrection of Jesus was different than Lazarus because Lazarus had to be unwrapped from his bandages. Mm-hmm. 
what, what, Lazarus, what happened with Lazarus was not a resurrection. It was something different. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, his whole body was glorified. He was shining. He, was, he had a glorified body, the same body that you and I will have in heaven. And he said, reach your hand and your fingers in there. And you know what? We don't see in verse 28 that Thomas does that. Do you read here that Thomas does that? I know that there are some famous paintings out there that have Thomas putting his hand right into his side. But I don't see biblically anywhere where, Jesus, where, where Thomas does that. No. Why? Because just the sight of Christ was enough. Yes. Just the sight of him. And Thomas said in verse 28, My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Amen. And I want to make a point here that when it says here, Thomas, you have seen, and then he says later on, blessed are those who have not seen. Those are two different words in the original language. Jesus was saying, Thomas, because you saw me, and not only saw me, but perceived me, you really saw me. Because we can look at something and not really see it. Thomas is looking at Jesus and the Holy Spirit is speaking to Thomas about who Jesus Christ is. Do you ever read the scripture? And it's like, okay, great. Then you read it again, and it's like, oh, the lights turn on. The Holy Amen. Spirit begins to speak to you yeah. about the meaning of the scripture. That is spiritual perception. And that's what happened with Thomas. Same thing happened with, with Peter when Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven, has revealed this unto you. But I want to back up a little bit, and I want to make a couple comments about doubt, okay? I want to make this kind of practical. In verses 1 through, um, all the way down to verses 19, we won't read them. But I want to make a couple points about doubt. The first thing I want to say is this. Sometimes people say, well, if Jesus would just appear to me, I will believe. Another, another person may say, well, if Jesus could have appeared to the entire world, like on TV, network news, real time, live, then the whole world would believe. Not so. How many things have we seen on TV live that we don't really believe? How many things have we heard about on TV that don't really draw it? Like how many concerts have we seen being advertised in downtown Philly and we just don't go? I mean, it was, it, was, it, was, it was statewide broadcasted, but we just don't, we don't go. We're not going to go. We're, I'm going to just sit in my house. What is the power of the resurrection? Well, the resurrection, Jesus didn't appear to everybody. And some people really have a problem with that. Jesus only appeared, it says, to about 500 people. Only 500 people. Now, why would Jesus do that? Why wouldn't he appear to everybody? Because there's something more powerful than appearing to the entire world, but appearing just to 500 people. Why? Because there's something much more powerful than seeing something. The more powerful thing is a personal testimony. My wife and I were in Texas recently, and uh, one lady said to us, I don't know how to tell people about my faith. Where do I start, and how do I know what to say? And a lot of us may wonder about that. How do I share my faith with people? You know where you start? Your testimony. That's all. What did Jesus do in your life? Well, ask the woman at the well. Ask the man who was healed that was from blindness. Ask the person who was raised uh, from the paralytic state that he was in. You have a testimony. 
Is there something in your life that God has done? Yes? Yes? Then there you go. That's where you start. You say, well, I don't know what to say to you about your situation, but this is what he did in my situation. He gave me peace. He forgave me of all of my sin. He gave me the power to forgive somebody. Uh, He gave me power to get out of my bed today and, 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 and come to church. He gave me, he gave me, he answered my prayer in this way. That's where we start. And this is the power of the resurrection witnesses. And I want to make this, this is a very important point that what is more powerful today than Jesus appearing to the whole world? Your testimony to somebody else. Because how many people will go to something that when someone personally has invited them to it, rather than seeing something blasted on the internet? The power of a of um, what do they call that when someone invites somebody else word of mouth right Mm -hmm. the power of word of mouth that was the power of the resurrection Jesus did not appear to the whole world because he wanted people to draw near to the apostles because God was speaking to the apostles to speak something to the church somebody say might say well I can just watch church on TV and I in some cases some people physically, may, that's maybe that all they can do, and that's fine. But you know something? God is speaking through the church to people today. God is speaking here. And, <clears throat> and this is why it's so important, the power of word of mouth. Thomas very often was called Doubting Thomas. You ever hear that? Yeah. And, and, you know, I, the problem that I have with these cliches or slogans or kind of nicknames about you know, general nicknames, is sometimes it kind of kind of errs from really what happened. Thomas was not just doubting. I mean, Thomas wasn't just a doubter, you know, and we call somebody, oh, you're a doubting Thomas. And we kind of miss what really happened with Thomas. Thomas had something else going on in his life. Thomas, first of all, was guilty. He was shameful, and he, was, he had withdrawn. He had felt that he had failed Jesus Christ. There are two kinds of doubt today. The first kind of doubt we could describe as, is called existential doubt or existentialism. And this was popular about 20 or 30 years ago, this existentialism, where anything that was not in accordance to natural laws was impossible. So someone may say, have said on college campuses 20, 30 years ago, well, I don't believe in the resurrection because that's impossible. Nobody's ever resurrected before, and we don't see resurrections happen every day. So because of natural laws, a resurrection is not possible. You know, that's an existential thinking. That is a, an easier way to break down that word existentialism is that word exist. If it doesn't exist, it's not true. That's, extensive, that's existentialism like in a little package, a very micro package. Well, it doesn't exist today, so how can I believe that Jesus rose from the dead? It didn't exist. And this is what people were thinking maybe 30 years ago, either you believe that Jesus rose from the dead or you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And there were people on college campuses that were saying, I believe. And there were people like saying, I don't believe. And there was that kind of that clash. Well, today we find more of the second kind of doubt. And I I call this felt doubt, something that you feel. Doubts that you feel in your emotions, doubt that you feel inside of you. And this is kind of a different kind of doubt when something like the resurrection goes against the way I feel about it or the way my heart feels about it. Or maybe it doesn't benefit me, so I don't really believe this. 
you know, I'll believe in it if it really benefits me. I'm, I believe in that politician if he benefits me personally. I'll go to that church or I'll go, you know, I'll, I'll obey God if it benefits me. This is what is called felt doubt. I don't believe this because I don't feel like it's really true. And this is the kind of doubt that we really see today in philosophy today. You know, the resurrection is more than something we just feel. It's a fact, and it does benefit us. How does this, how does this benefit us? And I, I, want to end, I want to wrap this up with this illustration. Just because we don't physically see something in an existential way, it does not mean that it's not true. Amen. Think of this with me for a moment. I heard this story, and I thought that this was a very good illustration. A man is driving in his car. Let's call him Joe. Joe is driving in his car. And he loses control and flies off the road, hits a pole, and he's killed. And a friend of his, or a bystander, sees this happen. Sees it what happened with his own eyes. Let's call him Jim. Let's call him Jim sees Joe crash and die. So Jim goes to the deceased's sister or mother and goes to him or goes to her and says I have some bad news and she says what your your husband was killed I saw him die in a car accident I saw him die and the initial reaction would be I can't believe that no that can't be true I just saw him this morning I was just talking to him he just left the house with his lunch and we had plans for tonight and that can't have happened. I just can't believe that. And, and, and Jim said, no, I, I saw Joe drive off the road and crash into a pole, and he's dead. I saw. And then what does the wife say? She says, I see. I see. I see. And that's a sad story, but it's a good, a, a good way to explain something that can happen. And let's bring in another character into this illustration. Let's say... Another family member comes running to the door, to the wife's door, and says, Joe isn't dead. He didn't die in a car crash. He survived, and he's in the hospital. And they say he's going to get better. So he's alive. He's, he's, he didn't die. He's going to make it. He's not dead. He's alive. And the wife can say, oh, I see. I understand. And she can be very happy and very elated. That's the way it goes today with word of mouth when we talk about the resurrection. Maybe we are the wife in the house, and we hear this going on, and we don't see it happening, but is really it is happening in our life emotionally and in a very factual way. Like maybe we don't see this happen, but we like the wife. When we hear the news that Jesus died, we're like, oh, he died. Okay, I saw, they saw him died. And then we see another witness come and say, he didn't die. Jesus didn't die, but he rose from the dead. And we say, that's so awesome. I see. I understand. This is the kind of seeing that you and I have of the resurrection today. We are hearing from another party something that is very, very real. And when we hear it from the disciples or from the 500 witnesses, we can say, I see, I understand, I believe. And I want to finish with this because the resurrection is important to all of us because whether we believe it or not, death is coming to all of us. You know, this year we've had some very dear people pass away. Uh, we've had Pastor Hoppy passed away, and he's with the Lord now. 
And also Pastor Walt Waddell passed away this year, not too long ago. These are people that some of us knew. Whether we believe it or not, or how beautiful the weather is, or how, we feel, how good we feel today, uh, death is coming. And if Jesus doesn't come before we die, we are going to die. We're physically going to die. That is a fact of life. And it's very easy to live our life without understanding that. But death is coming. And that is, that is there's, we've all heard it, two things that are sure in this life, taxes and the grave, right? <laughs> I hope we all paid our taxes. Well, no, it's not April 15th yet. Okay, so we still have time. But we are going to pass away. And when we die, we have to understand Am I a believer in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And have I received that free gift? Or am I someone that is saying, no, this is not true. This cannot be true because people don't rise from the dead. And I'll finish with this. That in Philippians chapter four, uh, 3, verse 21, when we see Jesus, he will transform our body to be like his glorious body. This is the great resurrection that we have to look forward to. You and I will be resurrected in Christ. We will be given a brand new body. Isn't that going to be amazing? This brand new body is going to be a body without pain, without disease, without death. You know, as the years go on, the knees start hurting more, don't they? Amen. I was out running the other day, and I was like, wow, my knees hurt. That never happened before. And that's the fact that happens. But, you know, when we get to heaven... Uh, we are, and some, and this is what some people say. I've heard one one teacher teach it this way: that say, well, how old are we going to be in heaven? What are we going to look like? And someone said, thirty-three. Why thirty-three? Because that's when Jesus died, and that's when they say that many time, many people's prime of their life is at the age of thirty-three. Now, if thirty-three was not a good year for you, don't worry. It's going to be all good, okay? Because <laughs> if you're not thirty-three yet, then hey, no problem. Don't worry about it. You're going to get there. It's going to happen. And I just want to finish with this, is that our resurrection in Jesus Christ is something that's going to truly happen. And the old sin nature is going to be left behind. And we're going to be resurrected with Christ. And I just want to say, you know, this is a new era. This is springtime. I don't know how your year has gone. Or, you know, sometimes we have folks that come just for Christmas and Easter. I just want to say, do you know what? Give God a chance in your life. Doesn't matter how what's going on. Maybe you don't feel like you belong with. Don't be don't be fooled. We're all sinners in this room. We may have ties, but we're still sinners. Amen. Don't be fooled. Just say you know what. Just say God. Between you and I, I'm just going to give you. I'm just going to give you another chance, and I'm going to draw near because I don't want to be like Thomas when God is doing something in the midst and I'm not there. I want to be in the. I want to be in the program. And I want to be a part of God's program. And I just want to tell you, this spring and summer, we have exciting things lined up. we got a men's getaway coming up at, the, at June, June 1st. We have Camp Life coming up. We have uh, some beautiful things that are happening. And we just want to really encourage you to make, make it a point to be out and be a part. Because you know something? When, when people are not here, we... Guess who... Pay, guess who... Guess who Guess who takes the loss? You, we do, right? You know, all of us are going to go to Easter dinner. We're going to sit down. But if somebody's missing at the table, who loses? We do, the people that make the dinner. So I just want to tell you, we love you. We love this church. And you can, if some of you may see some new faces here, God's doing some great things. And we're all being changed together. And 
I just, I just thank God that this year has been a wonderful year. Two years ago, um, you know, how many remember the first Easter that I did here? Don does, you know. You remember, she remembers. Lots happened in the last few years, hasn't it? God's doing things, and we're just going to see some beautiful things happen this spring and summer. So please, we are here to bless you. Whatever we can do to help you and your family, let us know. But let's just bow our heads together and thank the Lord. We're going to watch the second part of the little video, and then Ron's going to come up and share with us for the offering.